You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Nehemiah 12 is where we're going to be as we come to a conclusion in our series today. I'm going to just read verse 27 and verse 43, mainly because there's a whole lot of names in between those two verses that I can't pronounce. Nehemiah 12, verse 27 and verse 43. It says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, and cymbals, and harps, and lyres. And it says in verse 43, And they offered great sacrifices that day, and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Let's pray together one more time. Father, stop, and I just thank you so much for every man, woman, and child who is in this building today. I believe that everyone who's here is here for a reason, that you have orchestrated events of their life and their steps to bring them in here for such a time as this. And I pray that right now, in the short time that we have left together, that truly our hearts would be open to receiving the good news that you have for us today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, whether you like it or not, the Golden State Warriors, after demolishing the Cleveland Cavaliers and just four straight games, are now back-to-back champions in the NBA. (laughs) Sorry, D. Um, And after the game was over, a reporter went up to a player for the Warriors, Sean Livingston, and she asked him this question. She said, Sean, after such a long and difficult season, can you put into words your emotions? To which Livingston replied, and I quote, you know, I'm just looking forward to celebrating. I mean, seriously, coming to this with how hard it was, with all the ups and downs, he said, this is so special. And so as a team, what we want to do right now and what we're looking forward to the most is just celebrating what just happened. And if you watch Friday night, you know celebrating is what they did. And what's interesting is literally you had guys like Kevin Durant, who was the finals uh, MVP. You had Steph Curry, Draymond Green, all of these high-paid, high-profile celebrities literally running around like little kids Right, And they're spraying each other with champagne, they're laughing, and they're hugging, and they're jumping up and down, and they're dancing. I mean, they were with great joy celebrating what had just taken place. And as I thought about that on Friday, I thought, man, that is a picture of what we see happening here in Nehemiah chapter 12. And just to set the context for you, basically, for those of you who've been here, you know that the Jewish people, the Israelites, have been on this emotional roller coaster. They have gone through a lot of stuff together. They had, because of their own disobedience to God, because they trusted themselves more than trusting God, right, had their city laid to waste. I mean, literally, enemy nations came in and burnt down their temple and broke down their walls and then took them all into exile. But then God, because he is rich in mercy, because God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and on and on we go, God allows Israel to return back to their homeland. However, upon returning back to Jerusalem, what they discover is that their walls are still broken down. 
And the reason walls were important in this time period is because if you don't have a wall, you basically don't have a city. I mean, you open yourself up to raiders and other nations who can come in and take whatever they want. So the people of Israel could not prosper. And whenever Nehemiah, an Israelite man who was living in the palace 800 miles away in Persia, heard of this, what we discover in Nehemiah chapter 1 is because Nehemiah is a man with a holy ambition, because he has a heart that works, because he has a heart that breaks for the things that breaks the heart of God, and because it says in Nehemiah chapter 2 that the good hand of God was upon Nehemiah, Nehemiah walks into the king of Persia and he secures resources from the king in order to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. And so what we see next is Nehemiah travels 800 miles back to Jerusalem. He rallies a group of people to come and help him rebuild the wall. And then what we see all throughout this book is despite major persecution and major opposition from the people who said this could not be done, Nehemiah and the people of Israel rebuild this wall that had been down for a year or for 150 years, and they rebuild it within just 52 days. I mean, it's an incredible feat. And as a result of this, what happens in, in verse 27 is it says that the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they, it's talking about Ezra and Nehemiah, they sought the Levites in all of their places to bring them to Jerusalem to what? To celebrate the dedication with gladness. I love this verse because Nehemiah is like, hey, where's my party people at? Hey, he's like, where are the Levites? Where are the guys who are the worship leaders? Where are the ones who can lead us in this holy celebration? Because listen, Nehemiah says, before we go any further, before we do anything else, before we look at the next item on our to-do list, we need to, as the people of God, stop and celebrate the goodness of God in our lives. We need to remember that we were up against all odds. We need to remember that we had no wall, we had no resources to build the wall, and that despite opposition, despite obstacles, that our God has empowered us to do a great work so that we can now be protected, so that we can now prosper, and ultimately so we can pave the way so that the real king, Jesus Christ, can usher his kingdom into this world. So rather than us ignoring or assuming or taking for granted what God has done, Nehemiah says, I want us to stop. I want us to pause for a moment, and I want us to frame up the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God with the joy of celebration. I was reminded as I read this passage earlier this week about my time when I did a church planning residency at Fellowship Jonesboro. And whenever I was there, the elders of the church had said that they felt like unintentionally they had cultivated somewhat of a negative, pessimistic culture in their midst. And so what they did that was really genius is literally they had a funeral with a casket and everything. They had a funeral for pessimism. And then they instituted this annual rhythm they called Optimism Fest. And the whole point of Optimism Fest, is some of you remember this. How many of you actually went to Optimism Fest, part of our core group? Yeah, yeah. So there's like five, six. Yeah, and obviously you're an elder at Fellowship Jonesville, so you were there. And so, um, yeah, it, it was awesome because the whole point of Optimism Fest was literally just singing and dancing and laughing and playing games and, and eating good food. What was that stuff that, uh, is it Succotash? Is that what it's called? That stuff's amazing. And they had Succotash, right? And all this great stuff. And the whole point was literally just celebrating the goodness of God in their lives. I mean, it's one of the best things that Fellowship Jones World did. It's one of the reasons uh, that we try to replicate this every year at our church birthday party. Some of you maybe wonder why we, we do that. Well, that's why. 
Because every year in September as a church, we come together and we say, we're not going to take for granted what God has done in our midst. Every year we come together and we're going to eat and we're going to play and we're going to laugh and we're just going to celebrate the grace of God in our lives. And listen, because Nehemiah understands how important this is in the life of every one of God's children, he says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to draw a line in the sand and I want to call the Levites, and I want to get the worship leaders, and I want to get the harps, and I want to get all those awkward instruments that are hard to carry, and they're awkward to play, and all that. But I want us to sing, and I want us to dance, and I want us to give thanks to God. And I want you to look at verse 43, because I love this verse. It says in verse 43, they offered great sacrifices that day. And look at this. They rejoiced. What just happened? Did I miss something? Oh, okay. All right. In the back, I have no idea what just happened. So, and they, verse 43, offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God, had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard, look at this, from far away. So verse 43, right again, imagine this, the walls have been built. And according to verse 31, which we didn't read earlier, and you can go back and read it for yourself later, what Nehemiah does is after the walls are built, literally he gets the choir and he gets all the instrumentalists and he gets the leaders of Israel and they walk up on top of this wall. I want you just imagine this. They, they get up on top of this wall, the same wall that back in Nehemiah chapter 4, Tobiah the Ammonite says, you know what, this wall is so pitiful that even if a fox got up on it, it would break it down. I mean, I just imagine, maybe it's just me, Nehemiah's up on the wall and he's like, how you like me now, right? Like, he's like, what do you think about your little fox comment now? I mean, they're up there on top of the wall, right? This wall's holding the, the people of Jerusalem and they start singing in verse 43 and they're shouting and they're dancing and they're playing music that is so loud that literally it says people could hear them from miles away. When I was in a band, uh, is that the picture that was just now up there? Okay, yeah, there it is right there. <clears throat> now we can all laugh. That is corduroy that I'm wearing right now. Uh, I was in a band called the Williford Project when I was 20 years old because we practiced on Williford Street and the projects. And, um, and, and, and <laughs> so much passion in that, isn't there, babe? And that, so it makes you fall in love with me all over again, don't it? And so... <clears throat> We're practicing one night in our little house, and we had just wrote a song called The Greatest Love Story. And it was like, it was, we, we loved it as a band. Jason, Nicole, are you in here? Jason was in that band. Grant, are you in here? Nope. All right, Grant's not here today. Okay. Mark that down. And so, <clears throat> and so we, uh, we're practicing, and we're jamming out, and we're having a great time. And all of a sudden, a neighbor comes in and says, hey, 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 can you guys just turn it down? He said, literally, you're disturbing the peace. Y'all are so loud, everybody in this neighborhood can hear you. And, of course, we were embarrassed. We're like, oh, I'm sorry, right? And we, we turned it down, right? It kind of just like zapped the energy out of our practice and whatnot. But as I started thinking about that, I started thinking, you know, I wonder if the same can be said for some of you when it comes to your lives. For some of you in here, maybe because of the church you grew up in, maybe because of the fear of man, maybe because you're easily embarrassed, Right? For some reason, some of you in here, you have turned down the praise and worship of your own soul. And if you can be honest, you have turned the volume so low that people around you can no longer hear about the goodness of God. 
And I don't want you to misunderstand me. I mean, there should be time for grieving. There should be time for silence and solitude. But according to what we see right here in our text, there also should be times we turn the volume up and with great joy, we declare to the world just how good our God really is. In verse 43, again, I mean, just just look at this. And they offered great sacrifices that day. And what's the word? They rejoiced. For God made them what? Rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. I mean, that's five times in one verse. Five times in in, in one verse. I know we didn't get a chance to read a lot of this passage, but if you go back and look at it, what you'll see is the theme throughout Nehemiah chapter 12 is just joy-filled, passionate praise back to God for who he is and what he's done in their lives. I mean, you'll see in this passage, singing is mentioned eight times, thanksgiving is mentioned six times, rejoicing seven times, musical instruments is mentioned three times. I mean, Nehemiah chapter 12 literally is just an epic party. It's this holy celebration where the people are rejoicing with such passion and such volume that literally the surrounding nations can hear about the God alone who can bring the salvation and the satisfaction that they are longing for. This is what our city needs. We live in a religious context in a city where I would say most people are convinced, they may not say it with their mouths, by how they live, they are convinced that God is a celestial killjoy. We live in a city where most people think that Christianity is more about rules to follow than a joy to be found. And it is our job to show them the truth. It is our job to point them to the goodness of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, he says, A dislike of enthusiasm can be one of the greatest hindrances to revival. In John 15, 11, Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. In Acts chapter 8, verse 8, which is a verse that we've kind of built the church on and was a big motivation to us for why we planted what kind of church we wanted to plant. In Acts chapter 8, verse 8, it says, Philip went down to Samaria and he proclaimed the gospel. And as a result, there was much joy in the city. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we are in a time period where people desperately need a real unshakable joy. We are a people who currently have more options, more money, and more modern conveniences than any generation before us. And yet, because we have seen a tenfold, a tenfold increase in depression in the 20th century, depression is now referred to by psychiatrists as the common code of mental illness. Just this past week, uh, fashion designer Kate Spade took her own life. A few days after that, Anthony Bourdain, who I love to watch his show, did the exact same thing. Put a belt around himself and hung himself. And as I thought about this, and I thought about Anthony Bourdain, and I thought about the adventure, and the money, and the celebrity status, and the women, and the food, and all kinds of swagger that he had... I thought to myself, you know, it still wasn't enough. It still wasn't enough. And what's so sad to me is Bourdain knew something was missing, but he had no idea what it was, and he was so miserable and could not get an answer to his problem, and therefore he had to take his own life. And as I think about Spade, I think about Bourdain, I can't help but think that there are scores of people in our city who are just like him. People who are in desperate need 
for us as a church to turn up the volume, to turn up the volume of praise to God so that they can hear about the good news that Jesus brings to the broken and the burnout and the hopelessly lost. Over the last several years, I've had a chance to speak at different drug rehabs, and one thing that I've noticed that the drug rehabs I've spoken at all have in common is they have a worship they, they worship in a freedom and with a volume that is pretty much unmatched. And I was talking to uh, Brooke and BJ and Adam Weiss about that this past week because they've all been in rehabs. And I said, hey, what do you think it is? What, what, what's the common thing? Why is there such passionate worship in these places? And here's what they responded, literally like with an exclamation point right after. I mean, they said the same thing. They said, because it's all about hope. They said, these are a people who have recognized how a great God has met their great need. And therefore, as a result, he says, what's your experience when you walk into the rehab is just the overflow of what God has done in the lives of real people. This is what we see in Nehemiah 12. This is what I pray that we see more and more of within our church, that we will be a people, not that pretend like everything is okay when it's not, Not that we put on fake smiles, but that we would genuinely be a people who can look even at the pain and suffering of life and say, I refuse to believe that this is all there is. I want us to be a people, man, who encounter the grace of God so deeply that even when times get tough, even whenever it seems like everything else is falling apart around us, that we can still celebrate loudly that the best really is yet to come. And I'm not just talking about here on Sunday mornings, oh, that's great, and I'm thankful for that, but I'm talking about the flow of the everyday stuff of life. So that as we are going, with the volume turned up, that every man, woman, and child in this city will get to meet the real Jesus who brings a real joy that the world cannot give us and the world cannot take away from us. This is what our city needs. This is what our city needs more than anything else. It's a church filled with celebratory people declaring the goodness of God in the everyday stuff of life. And if you're here and you need help with that, right, like join the club, I am a three on the Enneagram, which means I tend to, by just natural default, try to critique and evaluate and focus on what all is wrong rather than what all is going well. And so I get it, but if you're here and you need to personally learn how to cultivate a culture of celebration within your own heart because maybe you didn't grow up in a family where that was modeled for you. Let me just tell you quickly just four four practices that I would try to implement into your life. And we'll be done this morning. Pretty short message. Nobody has ever complained about a short message. So, Four practices that I would try to implement into your life. First one is this. And this is a practice that, that has been referred to throughout church history as what is called the prayer of examine. The prayer of examine, and here's what the prayer of examine does. The prayer of examine is basically where you just take time, where you push pause on your life, and you examine the last 24 hours, and what you're looking for is 24 things to thank God for within the past 24 hours. Just examine your past 24 hours, and you thank God for 24 things in the past 24 hours. And just so you know, you don't have to look for really big stuff. We need to celebrate our lives like we celebrate the phases of our kids' development. I was thinking about this with Megan the other day. Like, we're so good. We're so good at celebrating our kids' like baby steps, aren't we? Like, our kid takes a step and we're like, way to go. It's like, we're not sitting there going, like, are you kidding me? You're still so far from being able to run a race. 
right? Like, you're nowhere close to being able to be a, you know, contribution to society. What's wrong with you, idiot, right? Like, no, if they take a step and they're wobbling, they're like, that's amazing, come on, you can do it, right? We're cheering them on. We're celebrating just a small step. You need to take time to do that in your own life, man. Stop beating yourself up. Just take time to celebrate. Maybe it's just, I got to have a really good cup of coffee this morning. Maybe it's, you know what? I actually didn't lose my mind this time whenever my kid just kept going, Mom, 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 right? Like, I'm just going to celebrate that. Like, that's growth in my life, right? There's fine things. The prayer of examine. Second thing I would say is a practice that you can implement is um, what I would call the journey of thanksgiving. As many of you know, um, I see a counselor on a regular basis because God knows that I need it. And uh, one of the things he told me, uh, I guess it was a few weeks ago, is he said, man, Jared, you spend so much time just critiquing your life and evaluating it and thinking about how much you need to grow and do this and that. He said, so here's what I want you to do. Every single day on your ride home from work, I want you to take a journey of Thanksgiving. And all I want you to do on your ride home is not think about what all you didn't get done, and what all you're going to have to do when you come back to work the next day and all days, I just want you to thank God for what's happened in your day. Amen. So I want you to just a journey of thanksgiving. That has been so therapeutic for me. Journey of thanksgiving. Third thing I would just say is a practice you can implement into your life is a Sabbath. And a Sabbath is just 24 hours out of the week where literally you just push pause on your life. And rather than working to try to obtain something you do not have, you just celebrate what you do have. You celebrate the grace, gracious provision of God in your life. And so for me, and we've done a lot of talk on this, we've preached sermons on it, so I'm not going to say a whole lot, but for me, what it looks like is because Sunday is a work day, my Sabbath is on Friday through Saturday. And so when I get home from the office, say around 5.30 on Friday, from 5.30 on Friday through Saturday, I'll try to Sabbath. And so what that means for us is we have to work hard throughout the week so that we don't have to do a bunch of stuff on Saturday, right? So that means it cleaning the house or whatever else, doing our grocery shopping, Right? And so on Friday, we'll kick it off with a really good meal. And we'll sit down together and we'll eat as a family. And maybe I'll read a psalm together just to kind of kick it off. And then that morning, right, the next day, like we eat really good, we rest, we play, we only do activities that remind us of how good God is in our life. And so like yesterday, for example, I took Wyatt and we played tennis. You know, I tinkered around the garden a little bit because someone told me uh, years ago that if you work with your head, you should Sabbath with your hands. Or if you have to work with your hands throughout the week, you should Sabbath with your head. And so for me, actually getting to like get in and play in the soil, it's super therapeutic for me. And I do that every single week, right? Because it's just a reminder to stop and celebrate. I don't have to be in control because God is. And the fourth thing I would just say is this, is I would regularly make this Sunday gathering a part of your week. We are, uh, we are just as a people attending church less and less and less. I'm used to whenever I was growing up, if you were a member of a church, you'd be there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Um, now, statistics say that my generation, even the most faithful members, attend a Sunday gathering twice a month. One, I mean, just two times a month they go to a gathering. And I would just say, man, like, I firmly believe that we need this if we're going to cultivate a culture of celebration in our hearts and in our midst. Because what the Sunday gathering does is it is a unique time where every week we push pause on the busyness of our lives. We say, I'm going to refuse to get stuck in the cycle, the tyranny of the moment. And through singing and raising of our hands and giving of tithes and liturgy and teaching and communion and baptisms, we get to intentionally together, the only place we get to do it all week long, intentionally together remember who God is and what he's done in our lives. And there are more practices that, that I could give, but hopefully that will kind of get you on your way. And the whole point of me just sharing those is to say this. 
If we are going to be a people who truly learn how to celebrate the everyday stuff of life, we have to be serious about the discipline of celebration. We need to be serious about intentionally establishing a rhythm where we recognize how good that God is. Times where we remember specifically who God is and what he's done for us through Jesus Christ. And that ultimately is what even the whole book of Nehemiah is about. Because when we read the book of Nehemiah, what we are reminded of is though Nehemiah left a cushy and comfy palace in order to fix a fallen wall. Jesus Christ left heaven in order to fix a fallen world. What we're reminded of when we read the book of Nehemiah is though Nehemiah was tasked with the responsibility of restoring a wall, Jesus Christ was tasked with the responsibility of redeeming and restoring our lives. And when we read the book of Nehemiah, what we're reminded of is just as he overcame the opposition of Sanballat and Tobiah and all of these enemy nations, Jesus overcame the enemies of Satan, sin, death, and hell so that we can now experience with him the joy of being dearly beloved sons and daughters in his kingdom. And not just do we get to be in his kingdom, but we get to join him in his kingdom work of restoring this city for his glory. Every single week as we come and we partake of communion, in light of that, communion is a time to celebrate. It's a time to celebrate who God is and what he's done for us through Christ, the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And if you're here and you're a Christian today, it doesn't matter how bad you screwed up this past week, you're invited to the table. We have two stations in the front. We have two in the back. We actually have fresh homemade bread today, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks to Jamie Davis using his gifts to make bread for us. And so you can come. You can tear off a piece of bread. You can dip it in the juice to be reminded of what Christ has accomplished for you. And listen, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, what we ask of you is rather, listen, rather than receiving communion, receive Jesus. You will not find joy and you will not find satisfaction apart from Christ. And so just as we need food physically as a reminder to, to satisfy us, you need to be reminded that you need Jesus Christ to take him in in order to satisfy you. And if you have never done that, if you've never made a decision where you honestly would say, I'm going to surrender everything I have to you. I'm giving it all up to you. I'm going to stop chasing after the things that Bourdain and so many other people are chasing after to try to find joy. I'm going to stop believing that lie. I'm going to stop settling for counterfeit joys. And I'm going to look to you, Jesus, as the joy of my life. If you will do that, he will come into your heart. He will save you. He will forgive you of your sins. And he will give you the freedom that you need to experience the life that you were created to experience. And if you want more information about your next steps in that, I'll be right here in the front. would love for you to come and talk to me, and I'll pray with you. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as the band comes forward. I'll pray for us, and then we'll partake of communion and sing one more song together. Father, my heart is a little bit heavy right now, and you know that because I know there are people who... who are celebrating lesser joys that will not stand the test of time. There are people here who are, um, Father, that are missing out on the life they were created to experience. And I know that there is nothing that I can do to try to manufacture some sort of emotion or feeling right now in the room, nor would I want to do that. But I just pray 
And I plead with you, and Holy Spirit, that you would move right now in the hearts of every man, woman, and child in this room. And if there is someone here who has been settling for a counterfeit joy as a result of a counterfeit Jesus, would you just reveal in their hearts the real Jesus? And if they would see that he is better than their career, he's better than their kids, he's better than their marriage, that he's better than riches, he's better than everything and anything that the world can offer. And I pray that as a result, they will surrender their lives fully to you. I pray for the rest of us today that, God, truly, we would be a celebratory people, that we would be so amazed by the fact that despite all that we have done, that you have provided everything that we need and that you love us and you accept us. I pray that the gospel will never become old news to our church, but will become sweeter and sweeter. And as a result, Father, it will erupt in a praise that is so loud in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, throughout our city and our region, that people will not be able to help but stop and know that it's just how good you are. And as a result, we'll see more people enter into your kingdom. And it's in Christ's name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.